Well, welcome to City Church. And I am personally excited about what the Lord is doing in and through our church family. And for those of you that maybe were not here last week, we have stepped into a new sermon series that's entitled Get Real. Get Real. And the intention, the purpose of this biblically-based teaching series or sermon series is that we would, through Scripture and through the stories of the Bible, have the opportunity to face ourselves through the biblical stories and come to discover maybe some area of our lives where God is calling us to get real. I know in my own life, almost every major change that I have ever made is because someone squared up to me and in love confronted me or encouraged me or revealed something in my life that it began to dawn on me that this is an area where I need to look at more deeply and bring in the necessary disciplines or change that needs to make place, take place in order to move towards health and wholeness. I know that this morning's message is going to challenge some of us deeply. And I'm not apologizing for that. I'm just at the very beginning saying that I believe that God is a God that in this specific area really wants us to dig in, take a look at ourselves, be honest about where we're at, and then make the appropriate moves towards God to find ourselves moving towards health. This morning's sermon is entitled, Get Real, Emotional and Relational Health. Last week we took a look at spiritual health and we were challenged from a wonderful story in the Gospels about how Jesus told his disciples to get into the boat and then one of the disciples made the personal request to get out of the boat and to walk on the water and we looked at how God calls us to follow Jesus and the spiritual health that comes from that. Last week, we also asked you to take a spiritual health assessment. We had well over 400 assessments turned in, and they've been extremely valuable for us. And in this message, I'll be referring to some of the things that we've learned. Now, here's one thing that we learned. Some people in the City Church family do not know how to add We discovered that. (laughs) But it was amazing to look at how people honestly and with incredible integrity before God looked at those 15 questions and took a serious assessment of themselves spiritually. And our prayer is, is that after doing that, that many of us would have exited realizing that we're not where we want to be spiritually as we talk about getting real before God and health. Now this morning, with Get Real, and when we talk about emotional and relational health, we're going to utilize one of the best stories, one of the most famous stories in the Gospels, It's found in the Gospel of John, and it's the story of the woman at the well. Now, I'm not going to read much of this story this morning because it's rather lengthy. What I want to do is upload the story to us because I know many of us have never read the Bible. We're not really sure how to kind of move through the Scriptures. So what I want to do is kind of bring to us the story of the woman at the well and an episode in the Gospel of John where Jesus meets a woman. Now in this, one of the things to be very aware of is that the Gospel of John, there are four Gospels in the Newer Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John is Jesus' best friend. How many of you sitting here have a best friend? I want you to think deeply. What would they write about you? What would they write about you if someone said, hey, sit down and write the life story of Sue? What would they write? 
And here John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes his gospel. The word gospel means good news. He writes his good news about Jesus and the perspective that God has given him after being Jesus' best friend. And in John chapter 4, God uploads to us an incredible story of Jesus meeting a woman at a well. Now, there's a couple of things that we need to know about the context. First of all is this. In the life and times of Jesus, a well was essential to sustain life. If your well got toxic or the well dried up, you moved. A well was a central focus of community life, and there was a well-worn path from the local community to the well that was traveled primarily twice a day. That path was traveled by the women in the morning and the women in the evening. And they would come collectively because that type of work is tedious, it's strenuous. And so those difficult jobs women would do in community. The woman we're getting ready to look at does not come in the cool of the evening or the morning. She comes in the heat of noonday. She's intentionally doing this chore alone. Here's another thing to know, is that when we look in the Gospel of John, the Gospel tells us that Jesus meets her at a specific well. It's named, it's the most famous uh, well in all of the Bible. It's called Jacob's Well. And Jacob's Well is famous because it's a well that's referenced way back in the book of Genesis in chapter 29 when a young, strappy, handsome young man Similar to that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but this strappy, handsome young man, he is looking for a wife, and he comes to this well, and at this very specific well that's now known as Jacob's well, he is watering some herds. And all of a sudden, there's a woman that shows up, and this woman's name is Rachel. And it's one of the most emotional, romantic verses in all of the Bible. The Bible tells us in Genesis 29, 11, that when Jacob sees Rachel, he begins to weep and he kisses her. What a move. <laughs> She's showing up with her flocks. He sees her. And when he sees her, he's overcome with emotion. Jacob's well is the scene of one of the greatest love stories in all of antiquity. And Jacob sees her, and he's moved with emotions, and he grabs her, and he plants one on her. Today, you would get arrested for that. It's called sexual harassment. But in the Older Testament, that's known as the beginning of an incredible love story. Got a good friend of mine, John, who just a couple of weeks ago passed away at the age of 89. He was part of our church family. And when he was in his early 20s, he went to a house, and when he was walking up the steps to the house and he entered into the house, there were a group of people there. He looked at this young lady and he said to her, you're the most beautiful woman I have ever seen in my life. And he grabbed her took her behind a door and kissed her. And they were married for 61 years. That amazing story. And when I was with him the week before he died, she preceded him into heaven. And when I was with him a week before she died, every time he mentioned her, he would light up and would just beam. People that knew him talked about how much he loved his wife. And his own children told me about how he would wrap his arms around her even in the elder years and he would try to lift her and swing her around in the kitchen. What a wonderful picture. Look, these stories motivate us relationally. But what you have to understand is Jacob's well is the scene of this wonderful love story in the Older Testaments, Jacob being one of the patriarchs of the faith of Israel. The story that we're getting ready to look at happens at Jacob's well. It's a scenario of a love story. It's the scene of a love story. 
And what you have in John chapter 4 is you've got a woman who's a Samaritan, which means she's half Jew, she's half Gentile. The Bible tells us that Jesus had to go through Samaria. He was cutting through this region of Israel where all Orthodox Jews go around. Jesus is traveling with his disciples, and he goes into that region, and he is thirsty he is tired, and the gospel of John uploads to us so often the human side of Jesus. He's fully God, but he's fully man. And Jesus approaches this well, and he sits on it, and he has nothing to lower down into the well to draw up water, and a woman approaches him, and as she does, he asks her for a drink. And her response is, you're a Jewish man and you must have heat strokes, so let me inform you that Jewish men don't talk to Samaritan women, let alone drink from their cup, because if they do, they are ceremonially unclean. But you know what's amazing is Jesus doesn't care about that. He loves people. And so here she is, she approaches him, he asks her for a drink, he literally humbles himself. He doesn't come from a, a region of authority down, Jesus humbles himself and asks her for a drink. And they begin this conversation that shocks her. Again, she warns him, she says, I'm a Samaritan woman, you're a Jewish man, this should not be happening. But they begin a dialogue. And Jesus says to her, Woman, if you knew who it was that you were talking to, you would ask him and he would give you a drink and the drink that he would give you would well up within your soul and you would have living water, running water, rushing water, life-giving water that would flow in and out of your soul. And she said, you don't even have anything to draw water with. How are you going to get to this living water? And Jesus says to her in the midst of this conversation, it's powerful and it's where the story gets real. Jesus says to her, why don't you go get your husband? I mean, my goodness, when you're in an awkward context and you recognize the awkwardness of it, you try to bring up something, right, that sort of smooths it over. And so he says to her, look, why don't you go get your husband? And she says, I have no husband. And he says, that's right. You've had five. And the one you're with now won't marry you. You're on your sixth man. And she says, you're a prophet. And then she tries some theological tangent. But you see, that doesn't work with Jesus. And what I love about this story is that Jesus goes straight into her emotional, relational world. And he just says it like it is. We live in a culture that will tap dance around that till literally Jesus comes, not him. Here's why. Jesus loves us. And Jesus himself is the one who's the God-man that comes from heaven to earth. And when he was challenged about the most important laws, the Jews had 613 laws by the time of Jesus. And one of the experts corners him and says, Jesus, what is the most important law? And here's what Jesus said. There's not one, there's actually two most important laws. The first one is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and the second one is identical to it. They're attached at the hip. You cannot separate them. Love your neighbor as yourself. And what is Jesus teaching? Jesus is teaching that relationship is the most important thing in life. My relationship with God and my relationships with people. And he goes on to say that all the law and all the prophets hinge on these two things. Love God love people. And oh, by the way, they're together. They're joined. So it's no small wonder that here at Jacob's well, the place of the ultimate romance, 
Jesus meets a woman where the romance of her life has left her on the shores of life and her life is broken, it's sideways, it's not even close to what she would have ever dreamt. And Jesus meets her there in the same scene of the ultimate love story of the Older Testament and he goes straight in and begins to speak to her about her emotional, relational health. Here's the question. Here's the question for you and for me. Am I willing this morning to get real before God about my emotional and relational health? Am I willing to get real? What I'm going to ask that you would do at this time is you were handed an assessment when you came through the door. I'm going to ask at this time if you would take this out, and we've got people with extras of these as well as some pens if you need them. And yes, we're going to take the time for you to read through these and just allow these questions to spark your heart and to spark your mind. If you don't have a pen, raise your hand. If you don't have one of the assessments, raise your hand. And again, we've got people that are going to be here to help you and to serve you as we get ready to take this. Now, I want to encourage you to do something. I want to encourage you to be honest about this assessment. And so at this time, together, we're going to take this opportunity to fill in just these simple 12 questions. So go ahead and rate yourself from 1 to 5. Go ahead and do that now. So what we have in the biblical story is Jesus helps her to assess her life. And he mentions to her, go get your husband. And she says, I don't have one. He said, what you said is true. You've had five. And the guy you're with now won't marry you. And after he says that, she begins to try to avoid him. Jesus reads her mail. You know what I've found about God? God is faithful. That if I will come to Him and open up my heart and open up my life, God in love, every time, God in love will begin to reveal to me the truth about myself in the emotional, relational sphere of life. But I want you to notice what she does. When things get a little bit tense between her and Jesus and he reveals to her that God knows where she's at, she wants to talk about religion. If you were to read the story, she goes into some theological treaties about where to worship and different things like that. But here's what I want you to clearly understand. Jesus loves her too much to let her stay there and he calls her to get real. Here's what I think we need to agree on. There are always consequences to my unwillingness to move towards emotional and relational health. We need to own that. What I also want to say is this is that many times I know when someone confronts me or God reveals something to me, my knee-jerk reaction is to blame everyone else. I remember one time when I was stepping into my full-time ministry career and my calling, I remember calling up my father and I was talking to my dad and I was mentioning to him about the team that I was working with. And as I was talking to my dad about the team, I said, well, dad, this person this and that person that. And my dad was kind of a corporate exec and I was picking his brain a little bit. And so we're kind of going through and I laid it all out. And here's what he said to me. I'll never forget it. 
He said, I see one common thing between every team member on your team, Pete. And I said, Dad, what's that? He said, you. I didn't want to hear that. I wanted to hear my dad say, fire them, get rid of them. You know, said what? No, it's you. And I think sometimes in life we can process and it's going to be everyone else. But the thing of it is, is God's going to love us too much this morning to let us to get away from that and get away with it. But instead, God calls us to clearly understand that there are consequences in life when we refuse to move towards emotional and relational health. Let's begin here. Why is it that we want to hide all this from God anyway? He knows. Just this past week, I was part of a faith discussion, and one of the guys chimed in, and he's a man that's sort of checking out faith, and here's what he said. He said, why is it so often, he said, that I'm trying to hide my life from God? What a great question. But here's what I want to say. Ignoring the areas of my life does not mean, and in fact, it means the, uh, they will not go away. I want you to picture it this way. I want you to picture it as that old whack-a-mole game that they used to have at carnivals. How many of you remember that? Where you'd hit one thing with a hammer and it would pop up over here. And the goal was to try to hit as many of them as you can. But the issue is with that game is when you hit one here, it just pops up over there. That's how it is. When we think in life, that when we discover where we're struggling, that if we just pave over it and we bury it, that somehow it's going to go away. And here's what ends up happening. Not only does it not go away, but my life lowers itself to a new standard and a new normal. We suddenly begin to acquiesce and capitulate and say, this is just how I am. And this is how life is going to be. You have to realize something. That this woman and her emotional relational reality has caused it to where community is something that is leaving if not already left her life. She's no longer bringing water back and forth with the other women. Now this reality of her life has caused her to do that alone. And it's very obvious that maybe the first husband or maybe the second, but by the time you get to five, there's got to be some self-analysis here. And Jesus loves her enough to move towards it. My deep concern is for some of us that in the relational reality of our lives, we've just got a new normal, and the new normal is substandard to what God would call us into. He's got something better for us. Now here's what I know, is that when we did the spiritual health assessment, the lowest thing that came back was that we as a church family during the week reach out to other people for prayer when we're up against big and tough things. I want to encourage you, oftentimes, we feel as though we just need to go through certain things alone. That could be either out of pride or this self-reliance, or it could be because it's this habit that we have in life of how we're dealing with life. I am asking you, if not begging you, let's be a church family that when you hit tough stuff, if God reveals something to you this morning and you already know it is, by the way, if you don't know what it is, just ask your spouse. They already know. Ask the people you work. They already know. You're probably the last one that has figured this out. They've known for years. Many of them have been trying to tell you for years. But what I want to encourage you to do is when God reveals something to you, let me just say this. Man, go to some way and say, you know what? I'm learning this about myself. I don't want to lower my standard. I don't want this low normal. I would rather, so much rather, grow up through this with God's help and reach out to others and share what God is revealing to you. 
Listen, this woman has tried and tried. She's been through five marriages and she's moving towards the sixth. I mean, at some point, we put on the brakes and we take a deep, deep look at ourselves. Now, here's what I know is this, is that she is looking to a place for strength that weakens her. That where she's been going to find strength for life is not working. She's gone to the well, the well of relationships with men, thinking that they will satisfy her soul and that that will make her complete. Think about where you go when you struggle. Does it actually weaken you in the end or does it strengthen you? Where do you go? That's why I'm asking us that if God begins to reveal something in your heart that you wouldn't sit on this alone, but you would reach out to other followers of Jesus and say to them, God has revealed this. Would you pray with me? Would you pray for me? If God shows you something, please tell me. Because it's apparent that this woman has been looking for strength in places that are weakening her. How often we see this in our culture. And it saddens. It's got to sadden the heart of God. Now here's what else I know. Is that some of us, some of you maybe, are looking at her traveling to alone carrying water and you're thinking, my goodness, what I would do from some alone time. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I remember I used to watch my wife when our children were little. And those things pulled on her, those kids pulled on, I mean, just day in, day out. And I would walk through the door and she'd say, they're yours too. And then she'd want to disappear. I get it. And I know that we need alone time or me team, my time or whatever you want to call it or me time, whatever it is. I know we need that. But my question is, what do you do in the midst of your me time? Does it strengthen you or does it ultimately deplete you? And here's what I have found. Hours of ESPN does not replenish the soul. Even when UVA is number one in the country. And I'm not saying we don't need diversions and downtime. But what I am saying is this. Is that I believe that the Older Testament reality of what's called a Sabbath is something we desperately need. I like that idea of Sabbath. And the reason why, it's an old word, it's an archaic word, it's an ancient word, but it calls us back to understanding that the rhythms of life, the way God has created us, demands that we take a day and we set it aside for the Lord. That we take time to pull back from the realities of life and remember that I am created, that I have a creator, and that he knows best. It's also a way of saying to my own flesh and to my own life and to culture that I'm willing to unplug and spend some several hours where I'm going to trust I can get done more with a Sabbath than without. That I'm going to do that. And build that rhythm into my life. It's incredible when we take that Sabbath rest and we kind of extract ourselves out of culture and we come before the Lord. What you'll find is, is that for some of us, it's the first time we've done it in weeks or months or years. It is impossible for a follower of Jesus to continue with emotional and relational health unless we sit before God and allow Him to pour into our hearts and pour into, my, into our lives. Listen, you can have many Sabbaths throughout the day, 
where you back off and you find yourself alone with the Lord, but Scripture's clear that there's to be a block of time that we set aside for Him. And I would also say this. I want to encourage us to be a group of people that read Scripture frequently. I want to encourage us to be that group of people. That's why we provide the word for today. This is a free daily devotional that we purchase. They're available on the smaller tables as you exit. I want you to, to encourage you to take one of these. Take the time each day to read through it. It only takes three to five minutes. But the reason why I want to encourage you to do that is the second lowest thing at our church for spiritual health was a daily or oftentimes throughout the week time where people get alone with Scripture and they read it for themselves. Listen, the preaching at City Church is incredible. <laughs> but it's not enough to get you through the week. It isn't. When we gather together, my goodness, it's wonderful. God's presence is here, but it takes more than that to get through the week. I want to encourage all of us, if you haven't already, start using the word for today. And I know some of us have moved beyond that, and we've got these deep, in-depth Bible studies, and I want to encourage you to keep that moving. But for those of us who are not, please take a word for today and begin to utilize that. Because listen, life is difficult, it's challenging. But not only is there this Sabbath rest, there's this time where you and I each day look towards God's Word and I know that many people have said to me, but Pete, when I read Scripture, it just doesn't come alive at times. Let me put it this way. How many of you remember all the meals that you've eaten this past week? None of us. But each one of us ate a meal to sustain ourselves and to get us through the week. It's the same when we read Scripture. You're not going to get a heavy revy every time you read the Bible. Every time you open up the Gospels and you follow Jesus through those pages, it's not like there'll be something earth-shattering. But what I believe and I know to be true, that when we read Scripture, it comes alive in us in ways at times we cannot see. When we look at our story, we have a woman that is coming to the well. And the well that she's coming to is one that's filled with water. But if you can't sense it in this story, what Jesus is beginning to do is show her the well that she's been coming to to draw from in her relational, emotional life. Because again, the well is essential, it's central to life. And here at that well, Jesus says to her, if you knew who it is that you were talking to, you would ask him, and he would give you a drink. And that drink would well up from within you and would literally permanently reside in your soul. And so I have a question, and it's this. What if the well that I am drawing from doesn't run dry, but it leaves me dry. What about that? This woman keeps going back to the well of these relationships with men. Somehow, some way, she believes it's got to be the case that she believes that this somehow is going to make her life what she wants it to be, but she keeps going back to the well. And I will tell you this, there's an unlimited supply of that. But every time she goes to the well, she's coming up dry. She drinks, but her thirst is not quenched. What about in your life and in mine? What's the well that we are tempted to go to? There's an unlimited supply, but we drink of that well, and when we're finished drinking, we're still parched and we're dry. Jesus stands next to that well and he says to her, drink of me. 
He stands right next to that well that every day she comes to draw from because it runs dry in her life. There's more water in the well, but it's not satisfying. And she comes day after day. Now Jesus positions himself right next to that well. And he says to her, drink of me. Come to me. And if you will, I will touch your life. And here's what's shocking. Jesus stands where he is least expected. Some of us have been drawing from a well that we know is corrosive to our soul. What I want you to know is Jesus stands right there next to that well. He is there calling and asking you to quit dipping from that well and to turn to him. And it's funny You must drink every day naturally. We we also must drink spiritually every day. Where do we drink from? What's the well that we go to? And I would say this, is if you're looking at your relational, emotional sphere of your life and you recognize that it's not a place of health, more often than not, It's because people daily are going to a well that has plenty of water, but it's leaving them thirsty. And Jesus would say, you don't have to go there. You can come to me. But here's what I know. When you come to Jesus, he's going to be honest. He will tell you the truth, but he will do it in love. What's amazing to me in this story is Jesus tells her the truth and that part of her life that she's wanted to push down, that she has been stuffing down into her soul, Jesus announces to her, you've got five husbands and the guy you're with now won't marry you. And on the heels of her interaction with Jesus, the Bible tells us that she takes off running. In John 4, 28, she runs into town and she says to those people that she's been avoiding, you need to come meet this man. He told me everything I ever did. Now, isn't that the guy you're trying to avoid? Who wants to hang out with the dude that can read your mail? And yet she is so excited because there's something different about Jesus when he points out something in your life. He doesn't leave it there, but in his love, he gives us the power and the authority to overcome what's there. And when she experiences that, she runs back to those people, and I have to picture in my mind's eye, the five former husbands are there too. And she says, you got to meet him. You don't have to live the way you're living. And she takes Jesus and she invites him into her home. It's incredible. And the Bible says he stays there for two days. He lives among those people for two days. I want to encourage you with something. Please do not leave Jesus here at church. Take him home with you. I love what happens here on Sunday mornings at City Church. I love what God does in our midst when we gather together to worship, to fellowship, to pray with each other, and to listen to a sermon. I love it. But don't leave Jesus here. Do what she did. Allow him to speak into your life. And then take him home with you. Invite him into your home. Because here's what I know. That's where you live the majority of your life. And what works here on a Sunday morning will work in your home the other six days of the week. I know that Jesus is tapping on many hearts. Because the well that you go to is a well that has plenty of water, but it's left you dry. Jesus now positions himself right next to that and says, I would rather that you would please move towards me 
Jesus looks at her and said, if you only knew who was talking with you, you would ask him for a drink and he would give it to you. And the drink that he gives, you can access anytime, any place, anywhere, because it wells up inside of your soul. He's looking at her saying, woman, the well that you've gone to has left you parched and dry. Now try to move towards me. The Bible assures us that she does. But here's what she does. She puts feet to her faith. The Bible says she runs back into town. And then in the end, she invites Jesus to come and stay in her town. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that the people beg him to stay. We serve a God who loves us too much to allow our emotional, relational sphere to stay in a state of dryness and brokenness to where what's normal has been lowered instead of raised up to the standard of God. I'm going to ask as we close out our time that you would please stand with me. But as you stand with me, I would like for you to step into God's presence. And as you step into God's presence, the purpose of this assessment was to get you to begin to think But what I know is Jesus is faithful. Jesus never comes to condemn us. That's the work of the enemy of our soul. Jesus will come to us and like the woman at the well, he will point out those things in our lives that we need to honestly get real and deal with before him. Jesus is about health. He's about emotional, relational health. And I want to say this, there are some of us, and I know this, that you have emotional struggles, and you know that those are biological, they're part of your life, and you're praying about those, and I'm asking you to continue to do that and trust the Lord. I'm the type of pastor, I'm not against medication. If you've been to a physician and they've told you you need to take this, take it. But what I'm talking about this morning are those things in your life that you know in the emotional, relational sphere of your life that God would put his finger on in your soul and say, I love you too much for that to be a blind spot. I love you too much. And would you by faith trust him to step out into him and say, Jesus, the well that I've been drawing from It has not run dry, but it's left me dry. And now, Jesus, instead, I'm going to position myself in front of you. And I'm going to allow you to give me your living water. It will transform my heart and my life. As we close out our time, would you close your eyes but keep your hearts open? I know that the Lord is speaking to some of us by the Holy Spirit. And for some of us, what's going to happen next is a big step for us. But what I'm going to ask that would happen now is that those people that were praying for others at the beginning of the service, that you would move along the walls at this time. So if the prayer people could begin to move to the walls now, Some of the prayer team, maybe it would be good for you to kind of move down front along the sides. But if you're here and you know that the Lord has spoken to your heart, he's put his finger on something, I want to encourage you to step out. Maybe you just want to pray by yourself and you'd like to come down front for no one to pray with you or to pray for you. But you would like to come out and respond to God. Put feet to your faith. You would like to come forward and spend time in prayer. Just a moment, I want to encourage you to do that. But for others of us, you know that you would like to confess that area of your life to someone. 
Say, look, this has been a struggle for me. Would you pray with me? Would you pray for me? As the worship team now begins to lead us in worship, if you're not felt prompt, you don't feel prompted to move, please stay where you're at. But if the Holy Spirit's working on you, I'd like for you to put feet to your faith and step forward to either pray by yourself or move to one of the prayer people to have them pray with you and to pray for you. Let's begin to move now if God's been touching your heart as we move into worship. Let's pray. like prayer, I'd encourage you to move at this time. Go ahead and humble yourself. Take that step towards someone to pray with you. Or if you'd like to come forward to pray by yourself, you can. Here's what the scripture says. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back into the town and said to the people, come, see the man that told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Could this be the Son of God? Could be this be the one that we've all been waiting for? Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, I invite you to work in our hearts and in our lives. Holy Spirit, I ask for each and every one of us that if there's an area of our hearts and an area of our lives where we are stuck, where emotionally and relationally we are outside of your best, I pray that this morning by your Spirit and through the Scripture you'd begin to speak to us. Allow us to be a people that move towards you to find the freedom that you bring. Jesus, thank you so much for this story in the Gospel of John. Help it to come alive to us and to speak to us. Jesus, thank you for who you are. In Christ's name we pray. In Jesus' name. We're going to conclude our time together differently today. I'm going to encourage you to stay in worship and to make a move towards prayer. When your heart is satisfied, you can slip out quietly. If you would like to leave your assessment for us, you can leave them on the tables. We're not asking you to do that like we did last week. But if you would like to leave them to help us to get of a sense of where people are at, we'd appreciate that. But at this time, let's take time to be in the presence of Christ and allow him to speak to us. And now may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he turn towards us and give us his peace. We pray these things in Jesus' name.
desert is to come The power of the risen one The God who brings the dead to life With the God of miracles The God of miracles Jesus. 